All right, good morning, everybody. If you want to turn your Bibles to Psalms 135 and 136 is where we'll be today. If you get nervous, as we get to the end of 135, we'll be very close to the end of our time allotment. Um, But 136 is really a responsive reading psalm, so when we get to it, we're going to read through it as all together. So be prepared for that. Next uh, Sunday is our baptism with Calvary Chapel St. Joe out at Mazingo. After second service, we'll meet out at the Lions Host Shelter. We did get both shelters, the Point and Lions Host, so we can park and use that parking lot that's meant for that one on the Point. Um, so you can park there. They'll have their taco truck they're going to bring up for us like they did last year, and uh, we'll have a good time. So that'll start at 1 o'clock. Uh, we'll eat and uh, do some worship, and then we'll do the baptism. So if you're interested in being baptized, that's a great day to do it at the lake. Um, after that, we have the kids' camp that's coming up. That's in between these two baptisms. And so be in prayer about that kids' camp, uh, that everything goes like it's supposed to. The teachers are prepared and ready to give out to these kids, and that the kids are safe and have a great time. Um, and then also the baptism after the camp, August 6th, is at the pool. Um, it's not just a baptism, though. It's a swim party. We'll have pizza there and everything for everybody, so come on and join us for that. So there's a, there's a, a dark water baptism and a clear water baptism, so you decide which one you want to be. Uh, um, both work. So <laughs> let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for our time this morning in your word that it would be rich, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. Um, it's kind of a cloudy day, a relaxed day, and, and, and we appreciate that. I love the sun, but Lord, the, you do bring us calming days like this also, and, and I pray that we just rest in that today. Um, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I pause because I don't rest too much during the sermon. Just eyes open still, um, but it is a nice relaxing day today. Psalm 135, a beautiful psalm, a longer one than what we've been going through the past few weeks, just about praising the Lord and trusting in Him. Um, Jesus said a very important verse, um, many important verses, but one of the most important was He's leaving us in our hearts before He goes, His peace. We're to have His peace. He's given that to us, and we're to rest in that peace, and we're to have that kind of life where Although there may be many things going on around us and circumstances change and, and there's a lot of things to be concerned about for sure, but nothing that can overrun or uh, overtake God's peace in our lives. It shouldn't anyway. And so when I find myself in a place where the things of this world have not grown dim and are louder and brighter than the peace of Jesus Christ in my heart, I need to take some time with him. I need to get my heart right with the Lord and my mind right. Not that it's wrong, but closer to him so that the peace of God can wash over me and cover me. We don't want to have that constant worry and concern. um, God has us. And this psalm shows us that, to trust in the Lord. There's so many areas of our life that probably need a little bit of work as far as trusting in God. And we'll hit on those today. Verse one, praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise Him, O you servants of the Lord. You who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God, praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises to His name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for Himself, Israel for His special treasure. 
Be excited that God has chosen us, you know? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Be thankful that that's how our God feels about us. He knew we were in trouble. He knew that we were in desperate need of rescue and salvation from our sins, from hell, from being separated from him forever. And he saw that in us before we saw it in ourselves. And he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. That's worthy of praise. And to thank him for those things and to stay in that attitude of praise and worship. And so he encourages the readers or the singers of this psalm to praise him and praise him loud. No matter where you are, in the center of the house, on the courts, but praise him and continue to. There's something about it. He inhabits the praises of his people, he tells us. And when I don't know what to do or I don't think I can open my mouth in song to God or praise him for, I know I should be thankful, but I don't know that I can today. Do it anyway. It's a decision you make. Sing the song to him. See how you feel afterwards. Trust that his advice to us, his prescription for us to praise him, isn't not only for his benefit to glorify him, but also to change us. I wonder how much we'd be changed and how closer and and, and how much more peace we'd have if we just do that more, you know. And And I don't do that to scold or to, you know, correct or anything. It's just sometimes the... The answers are just written plain as day for us to read for our lives. The problems and the concerns we have, we think we need some extra biblical something or other to reach and touch these areas of our life when he's clearly written it down on what we should do. We just don't accept his advice or his commands. When if we did, we'd probably find ourselves a lot healthier in every way. Just a thought. He says, I want you to be excited that God has chosen you, Jacob. And then he switches the name to Israel. Some know and some don't, but Jacob was his original name, meaning heel catcher. He was the second to be born of twins. It's hard to think of Jacob and Esau being twins, you know. One's red and one's big and one's thin and dark. We get the idea from Uh, the stories that Jacob liked to hang out at the house and Esau loved to be out in the wilderness, you know, couldn't, couldn't be two more different men, you know, but Jacob I have chosen. And when he did that and Jacob submitted to God, his name was changed to Israel, which means governed by God from the heel catcher of the twins to being governed by God. You're my special treasure. He says, Israel needs to hear that sometimes they need to be reminded of that. That's a running gag, a running joke in Israel culture. Uh, I know we're the chosen people, but I wish he'd choose somebody else sometimes, you know. Well, they don't mean that. The special treasure is he's protected them through all the things the world has tried to throw at them. All the things that Satan has tried to do to them, God has kept them. Even in their own sins, even in their own faults and decisions they've made that were very poor, as we read about in the Old Testament, God has protected a remnant and kept them. They're a special treasure to God. In Romans chapter 9, verse 6, and this goes on maybe a little bit of a tangent for me this morning, but I wanted to focus on it because it does say that he chose Jacob. And if God chose Jacob, that means Jacob is saved, right? Well, yeah and no. So Romans chapter 9 verse 6 says, But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. You see, 
Because although the entire nation of Israel was chosen, only some of them mixed that understanding with faith. And it was applied to them then, and it worked for them then, you see. And there we see kind of a a mix or a, a good understanding of what it means to be chosen by God first, but also for us to choose Him as well. Even in the Old Testament, we have examples for that. Hebrews 4, verse 2, For indeed the gospel was preached to us, as well, to, as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. The word was effective and powerful for all that were listening, but only those that believed it didn't have the power it needed in their lives, if that makes sense. There is a choosing on our part, um, as well as God's part. Verse 5, For I know that the Lord is great, And our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. The heaven and in the earth, in the seas, and in all deep places. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of his treasuries. Interesting description of the hydraulic cycle there. Beautiful understanding way back then of how water moves, you know, how God designed it. God has got an engineer's heart and an artist's heart at the same time. Not only did he design something for function, he designed it for form as well. And I appreciate that about my God. I like that. You can have both. It doesn't have to be ugly, you know. And I like this. That touches everybody in the room probably. Everybody's got the, I think I'm an analytical guy. Well, that's great. Or an analytical gal, you know. Good for you. You know, I like numbers, neat in a column. That's wonderful. Others just look and say, I like the bottom line. It means I can buy more ATVs or something, you know. There's both. And God sees that. Know that you're appreciated. Know that you're made, you know. It's hard to, we appreciate God and we praise him for who he is. But when he calls Israel his special treasure, he thinks the same towards you as well. You're, you're appreciated by God. He likes the way he made you. He likes the things that you do, the things you maybe aren't and the things that you are. Some of those things are character flaws that God wants to change for sure. We've all got our issues that God wants to, you know, move us in the right direction in areas where we're, we've been moving in the wrong direction. But um, he does like you. He does. He just does. You know. And I think that's important. I'm not trying to be fluffy this morning, but there's some fluff. It, it is nice to be loved by your God as well, not just a duty bound responsibility by Him as a father to make sure that you're raised properly, but that He has a heart for you. You know, and He does. Um, he says He's above other gods. Now, there's a song that we sang years ago, and I, I probably bring this up more than I probably should, but um, and it, it actually says that. It, it's, a, it's an actual song from the Psalms that talks about you are above all other gods. And the person who is in our fellowship here singing that song with us had a hard time singing it and wrote me an email that Monday, that Monday's email day, um, where they tell me, it, 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 uh, there is no other God but God. This is a blasphemous song. And you honey... You know, it's Psalm this, and I don't remember the exact psalm. I said, they just put it to music. It's in God's Word. We just sang God's Word this morning. And so if God wrote that, it's, it's going to be okay for us to sing it too. He, he doesn't mean that there is competition for him. He's just saying he's Lord of Lords. He's King of Kings. He's the God above all other God you could make, you know, um, and it's okay. Um, 
But there are those that will put their trust elsewhere. Um, He wants us to put our trust in him. He wants us to uh, love him more than all other gods, and he's going to move into this a little bit. There, There are those around us that do worship other gods, and you have to put up with that kind of thing. Not put up with in the sense that accept it, but understand it anyway. But they don't worship the same God that you do. Um, And there they are in front of you. And how do I minister to them? And how do I uh, share the love of Christ with them when they're not so sure? You know, those are important things. We have these things. Israel has these things, but not everybody does. Um, I'm to continue, regardless of what everybody else is doing around me, in the peace of the God who saved me. I'm to continue in that relationship with him. Um, I can't let other people's thoughts and opinions and ideas of of little gods, little G's out there um, affect my relationship. It doesn't. Uh, I'm sad for them. Uh, They're a ministry opportunity for me for sure, but it doesn't affect my relationship with God or or my conversations with him, you know, except for pleading for their soul. So he just is simply saying, you know, He's above all other gods. No, no matter what god there is out there that may be blustery and loud and, 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 and loud and yelling more than all the other gods out there, you know, just remember your God is much bigger. He's not affected. He's not moved. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's not concerned as much as we are. God, did you see that little G over there? He's really getting loud mouthy over there. Better do something, buddy. He says, it's okay. He's, he's in my world, you know. I, I'm, I'm above all of this, you know. And we need to know that. That's who we worship. Uh, we worship someone who is above it all. And so um, we're on his side and, and, and therefore protected and, and cared for. Verse 8. He destroyed the firstborn of Egypt. Now he's going to go over some things that happened as he released them from their captivity. He destroyed the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and beast, He sent signs and wonders into the midst of you, O Egypt, upon Pharaoh and all his servants. He defeated many nations and slew mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, Og, king of Bashan, all the kingdoms of Canaan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his people. Not only do we not have to be afraid of these other gods and the people that worship these other gods. Um, it's just a, it's God's decision as to whether we inherit theirs or not. I don't want to go so far as to say the, the Amish and the, and the Mennonites have a funny saying and they, and I think they use, they use it inappropriately. And I look down cause I, 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 I understand where they come from, but I, I don't appreciate it when they use it on me. But the wages of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. So they don't have a problem when they, uh, when they haggle, you know, with, with, a, with a person that's not of their tribe, you know, so to speak. Because the wages of the wicked, which is me, is stored up for the righteous, which is them. That's a, that's a struggle. So although that would fit here in this context, um, that's not what the psalmist is necessarily getting at. What he's getting at is he's, he's Lord of all, and, and everybody, wherever they are on the earth, including us, are tenants. We're renters, basically, in the sense that we're allowed to live in his location that he's prescribed for us. It isn't mine. I don't own it, you know. 
I, uh, I battle that sometimes when I, when I get into worldly stuff, you know, and I get into property tax. And I'm like, you never really own your land, you know, because there's always property tax. And, and if there's property tax, they can take it from me anytime. I say, calm down, you know, calm down. You don't own it anyway, you know. It's not yours anyway, even if there wasn't. You can be evicted. You can be moved. You can be, uh, it can be taken from you. And, and, and so the writer here, as he writes this, is saying it's a heritage for whom is governed by God. My, my issue shouldn't be with all the other things that the world wants me to be concerned with. It should be, am I governed by God? That's the key to all of this. Am I governed by God? Am I a Jacob, a heel catcher, or am I an Israelite? A person who's governed by God. That's the difference between the same man, but different hearts. Now, if I'm governed by God, I have no fear of, of anyone or anything because I'm governed by him. I trust in him. That's what trust means. Everything is his. My whole heart, my whole life, and, and, and everything that I have to do on this earth while I'm here, I trust in him. I, I place my trust there. Verse 13. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your fame, O Lord, throughout all generations. For the Lord will judge his people and will have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them are like them. And so is everyone who trusts in them. I like carvings. Anybody else does too. You know, I, I like seeing wood ducks, you know, that's used for decoys and things like that. I even liked my grandma's trolls, which is probably blasphemous to say from the pulpit, but she's Norwegian and he was Swedish and they brought, I went over there and they got some wood carved, hand wood carved trolls. And they were always fun. They were, they were my action figures when I went to grandma's house, you know, so I didn't really take them as you know, demonic presences in their home. Um, they were just little wooden figurines that were really fun to look at, you know, I enjoyed those things. And yet, and yet that's not what he's talking about here. These are worshipped items. These are items that were meant and intended to be gods that you would pull out of your pocket, and they were usually pocket-sized, to be honest with you, and some were bigger than others. I'm sure they had home versions, you know, and then they had the portables um, that they would worship. And so the writer here is saying these other nations, these little Gs, all their idols, all their gods, whatever, they, they're the work of men's hands. They've all been created by man. Sometimes they're made of gold or silver to place more value on that carving. But it's only the gold and the silver that makes it valuable. It doesn't make the God any stronger or anything like that. But if you had a gold, you know, gnome, <laughs> you, you were better than the silver gnomed group, you know, kind of thing. Or the wood gnomed or the stone gnomes. I mean, they were the poorest of poor kind of thing. They, they place their value on those things. And, and he's saying, you know, they're nothing, right? They were made by people. Their eyes that they've carved in there, they can't see. There's nothing magical about them. There's no breath in them. Uh, the ears, they can't hear a word you're saying. You know, um, These are foolish things to put your trust in, is what he's getting at. They're, they're just like them. When you place your trust in things like that, and I'm going to expand on this a little bit. That'll make us all kind of uncomfortable, probably. But when you... Uh, when you trust in these things and you don't trust in God, 
you become like them. You don't see things like you're supposed to see things. You're not going to hear things where you're supposed to. You won't be able to say the things you need to say. And, uh, well, it may bring death, actually. <laughs> lack of breath. Some of the things that I picked up in Scripture, because I don't want to just give you my list of things that I think are gods in this world. I wanted to use some of the things that... Um, the Lord puts down in Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 37 indeed you will go forth from him with your hands on your head for the Lord has rejected your trusted allies and you will not prosper by them now what the reason he brings that up is because they trusted in their allies more than they trusted in God and so the definition of this of these little G's are going to be anything that we trust in more than we trust in God your allies. I thought they'd be there for me. I thought they'd protect me. I thought the more I had, the stronger I would be. When actually, I mean, way back to the psalm we did on July 4th or right around July 2nd, I guess it was. Those who build the house labor in vain unless the Lord builds it. Those who are trying to guard the gates unless the Lord guards the gates. You know, doesn't matter how many allies you have unless the Lord is your ally. And that's what he gets here. You'll see a common theme here. Anybody that puts their trust in something more than God, it's a tool he uses, it seems, to go ahead and let them have that as their only trust, and he'll back off a little bit from their lives. Oh, you trust your allies. Okay, let, let's see how they handle this over here without me. You know, no, 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 we don't want, we don't want you gone. Oh, okay, good. Well, then let's put things back in order again the way it should be, you know. A second one is Jeremiah 48, 7. For because you have trusted in your works and your treasures, you also shall be taken. And Shamash shall go forth into captivity, his priests and his princes together. You put your trust in works, your abilities, your ideas, and your treasures. You know, your money, you've rested in that. Well, okay, I'm going to let you rest in that during this next situation and see how well you do when I'm not involved in it. And that's only to bring them into a, that relationship with God again. Jeremiah thirteen twenty five. This is your lot, the portion of your measures from me, says the Lord. Because you have forgotten me and trusted in falsehood. You've trusted in things that aren't true. Lies from man. You haven't trusted in my word. You put your faith and trust in people that have contradicted my word. People that are actually against me or enemies of mine. So I'm going to let you trust in that falsehood and see how that works for you. Often that leads you away from peace and comfort, assurance of salvation. You begin to focus and obsess over things that aren't of the Lord and have nothing to do with eternity. You put falsehoods in front of me. Hosea 10.13 You have plowed wickedness. You have reaped iniquity. You have eaten the fruit of lies because you trusted in your own way in the multitude of your mighty men. You thought you could save yourself. And you thought that your own way was better than his way. That's a hard one. We often pray for direction from God and, and wait for the Lord. I don't know if I should take this job or that job or if I should go in this direction or that direction. Should I date her or date him? Which, you know, depending. What do I do, God? And you lay those out before him and You'll wait for a while sometimes, and then maybe your heart wins over your prayer life, over your waiting. And God will wait 
Because he wants to know if the prayer was genuine. Do you really want to know what I want to do with your life? Do you really want me to put you where I want to put you? Or are you hoping that I agree with your wishes, with your hopes? And so there's silence for a very long time. And I encourage people, if you're going to lay something before the Lord, a decision that you want him to make, don't make a move until he tells you. And if he doesn't say anything, then you don't make a move. That's my, that's my opinion. But I see that laid out in Scripture way too many times where people said, I waited, but you never showed up, so I went and did it on my own. I, mean, I gave you a deadline and you didn't meet it. And therefore, I made the decision for you. You trusted in your own way. Ezekiel 16, 15. But you trusted in your own beauty, played the harlot because of your fame, and poured out your harlotry on everyone passing by who would have it. I don't know how many people would, you know, raise their hand and say, oh, that's me, you know. And beauty may be just the tip of the iceberg here, but a lot of people do trust on their charisma. They trust in their looks. And as every old person here knows and can testify that gravity wins in every way. And that beauty is no longer something you can trust in because people don't look at you the same way they used to when you were in your prime. They don't trust you. They say that all CEOs, most of them, like 90% or 95% of all CEOs of company are over 6'2". Why is that? Is it because that's 6'2 people are smarter? Or is it because there is some truth to the fact that the world looks at the outward appearance like they did with Saul when they made him king? He was head and shoulders above everybody else. Yeah, but he also was hiding in the baggage when they tried to coronate him and make him king. He was a coward. He was also the guy sitting in the tent wondering who's going to go out there and fight Goliath. And some little shepherd kid said, I'll do it. And he was glad to let him go die. You know, trusting in your beauty or in your charisma and your abilities um, is a dangerous thing. You need to trust in the Lord is what he's getting at. Verse or 22 of Luke 11. But when a, uh, when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. That's the bottom line with any of these things. Someone prettier will come along. If that's how you got your husband, you're in trouble. If that's how you picked your bride, you're in trouble because you're looking for beauty, you're looking for outward. You're not looking at the heart. It's a dangerous thing. These other gods don't stand a chance against our God is the point of all this. To put your trust in him and not in these other things is a sure thing. It's a sure bet. It's wise. 1 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Then the Philistines took the ark of God, which they captured in battle, by the way, from Israel and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. That was their God. He was a half-fish, half-man God that they worshipped. And when the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and set it in its, in its place again. They picked up their God and put him back where he belongs, you know. Oh, my God fell down. And when they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. 
the head of Dagon, and both, his, both the palms of its hands were broken off on the threshold. Only Dagon's torso was left of it. Therefore, neither the priest of Dagon nor any who come into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. There is so much humor in that to me. I have to be careful about it, but I think it's wonderful that God's word is very careful to call it an it all the time, never a he. This thing, it, fell down. It broke its hands. Its head fell off. Never he. To make sure that we never get the idea that there was any competition whatsoever. The rock that they carved into the shape of a fish man fell and broke is basically it. The most funny thing to me is, and maybe the most convicting thing hopefully today is not only did they pick it up once but after it broke because God wanted to make sure that they, they couldn't pick it up again it says at the end of all of this that the priests of Dagon they're still priests of Dagon he just got beat by God's chair alone that's what the, the Ark of the Covenant is it's just his mercy seat and you're still worshiping him. You still have him set up somehow, some way. And instead of, the, instead of figuring it out, maybe we should be worshiping the God that won the battle last night in the little room. They're still the priests of this God. And then they just added a superstition to it. Step over the threshold when you go into worship because that's where his hands fell. As if the threshold had something to do with the problem, you know? It's amazing how we'll protect those things we trust in. I know it didn't work this time, but next time. I know it didn't work that time, but next time. I know it didn't work that time, but pretty soon we got to figure out that it doesn't have any power and it can't work and we should trust in the Lord. And then finally, Acts 19.27. Speaking of the goddess Diana, Paul ran into this problem. And this is the key to all of it, I think. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worships. Now, Paul had gone in and preached the gospel, and many people had become believers, and were no longer going into this goddess Diana and worshiping, which is how they all made their money. That was what the city was known for. People come here to see the goddess, to worship here. And while they're here, they stay in hotels, and they go to restaurants, and they buy our trinkets, and, you know, we got a whole deal going on here. we got to get rid of these guys and the truth so that the lie can continue to be pushed so that we can still make our money. We have to be careful, obviously. We'll finish up with this before we do our responsive reading. Bless the Lord, O house of Israel. Bless the Lord, O house of Aaron. Bless the Lord, O house of Levi. You who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord out of Zion, who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. When you bless, bless him. When you bless, Anybody, whether you're of the house of Israel, Aaron, or Levi, or wherever you come from, bless the Lord for what he's done and who he is. If he can run the hydraulic cycle in this world, 
he can certainly run my life. If he can keep everything moving the way he moves it so effortlessly, so, so smoothly that I don't even recognize his hand some days because I just expect the sun to rise and for the moon to come up and for these things to just take place automatically. He's so good at it and so faithful at it. Why in the world can't I let him trust, my, trust him with my life? You know, to let him do what he needs to do. It will run as smoothly in form and function, my life, as it is everything else he's ever put his hand to. I can trust in him to do that. When I'm choppy, when my life is disjointed and crazy and out of control, it's usually because I've taken his hands off of it. And I've placed my trust someplace else, you know. One of the things I like to watch sometimes on Instagram is these uh, Formula One race car drivers, you know. I don't, I've never really liked open wheel racing. I'm more of a, a NASCAR guy if I watch it at all, and, and that's fine. But to listen to that engine and the way the drivers are able to go, and it just, and the, the one that caught my attention this week, because I, I spend way too much time on there probably, was they had taken the wheels off an F1 and it was in their shop, and they sang happy birthday to one of the pit crews with the engine by revving it up and revving it down. And I thought, oh, that is so cool. I mean, that's amazing that you could do that. I'll send it to you if you want it. <laughs> when someone who knows what they're doing is driving one of those things, it is, it's poetic almost, you know. Now you stick me in an F1, <laughs> Oh. You know, I, I couldn't keep it running if I wanted to. I was a valet once. I've done a lot of jobs. I valet parked in L.A. Um, it was kind of a side job I had while I was stationed out there. And once in a great while, someone in a Ferrari or a Lamborghini would pull up to one of these places, you know. And, of course, I never got to get into it because I'm too low on the totem pole for that. Um, but someone would get in and eventually, usually the manager of the over, you know, the guy who was in charge that night would get in and he was going to be the one to drive this thing. And every single time he just popped that clutch and cause they're all standard, you know, <clears throat> you know, but the guy who owned the car would drive it effortlessly, you know, just a small little story to encourage you to let the one that designed you, that made you let him drive. Let him do that. Let him hit the clutch. Let him run through the gears, slow you down, speed you up. He knows what he's doing. It's smooth. It's smooth and beautiful. Now, Psalm 136 is called an antiphonal psalm. You're welcome. <laughs> you can look it up. It's a responsive reading is what it is, basically. And so you're going to say the second part, which is very simple. You don't even have to read it if you don't want to. For his mercy endures forever. That's all you have to say. For his mercy endures forever. And I'll do all the rest. Now, it's going to be a long psalm, but let's go through this. And, and understand, as you go through this, what do you think God wants the nation of Israel to understand? Right? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords. 
To him who alone does great wonders. I think there's a key here, isn't there? To him who by wisdom made the heavens. To him who laid out the earth above the waters. To him who made great lights. The sun to rule by day. The moon and stars to rule by night. To him who struck Egypt in their firstborn. And brought out Israel from among them. With a strong hand and with an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea in two. And made Israel pass through the midst of it. But overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings. And slew famous kings. Sion, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan. And gave their land as a heritage for his mercy. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I knew I would do that. Go. A heritage to Israel, his servant. Who remembered us in our lowly state. And rescued us from our enemies. Who gives food to all flesh. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven. Lord, we thank you that your mercy endures. We thank you that through all of these things, all these examples, all of these uh, testimonies, there's one thing that stands sure for us is your mercy, Lord. It's beyond not giving us what we deserve. It's protecting us and watching out for us and providing for us to giving us peace and wisdom and understanding and and a calm, Lord, on this beautiful day that you've given us. Lord, help us to rest in this truth that you've shared with us this morning, to have that uh, just in our hearts and on our hearts constantly this week, that your mercy endures forever. Bless these folks as they go today. In Jesus' name, amen.